to Podcast with Yoshi Obayashi. Am I saying that right? Amanda St. Helena? St. Helena. Helena. I'm always saying that wrong. <laughs> um, and I'm probably saying your last name uh, wrong. Amanda McCrossan, right? Yeah, you got it. Okay, great. That's good. Um, I, okay, so I'm here because I, 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 we are our mutual friend Jason Buck and Jeremy. Um, they're saying wonderful things about you and you're expert, in my opinion. I mean, very savvy about <laughs> wine business and a lot of people are, are like myself, pretty intimidated by it. So, um, yeah, so a little bit of background, what, uh, where you're from and what you do here, and um, maybe you could educate the public uh, not to be intimidated by wine business. Yeah, well, it's funny because I actually got into the wine business because I was intimidated by it, but um, I'm originally from outside of Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, I moved to New York uh, about six years ago, and I was there for five years working as an actress and fell into the wine business. Um, and from there, I started educating myself and learning about wine um, through a mentor that was an incredible sommelier from Le Bernardin and um, just in the New York wine world. So he, uh, he started teaching me and he took me under his wing and um, very quickly I, I decided that um, it, was a, it was a passion I wanted to pursue. So I took that and I um, went to a restaurant and I was the wine director there for a year and then I picked up and moved out here to Napa and now I live in St. Helena and I work at a restaurant called Press. What did it exactly do? I mean, besides serving <laughs> wine, but I, I know, I mean, in Japan, there's such a popular profession. There, there is even com- multiple comic books explaining public what they do. But really? how would you explain uh, what they do besides, you know, recommending good wine to people? So a sommelier's job is to one, find great wines. Um, our job is to recommend great wines, and then our job is to serve the wines that they've ordered. So okay. it, it really does boil down to the basics of that. Um, but beyond that, you know, we're, we're tasked with, um, on any given night, finding a wine for someone who maybe hasn't had wine before. So sure. uh, any different palate, any different price point. Um, but we're, you know, we're, we're in hospitality. So right. our job is to you know, complete that entire cycle of a hospitable experience through wine. Um, so it can mean many different things to many different people, but at the end of the day, the role of sommelier is to serve wine to a table, and it really is as simple as that. And, it, and do you factor in, like, uh, occasion, of, uh, you know, events? and when, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, especially at press, um, we are very fortunate to have a wine list that we do so our specialty is old vintages of napa wine okay um so all we serve there is napa valley wine um but that is a 1500 selection deep list of wine um so yeah every now and then we'll have and very often actually we'll have people come in and say i want to drink my birth year so if you were born in 1968 or 1973 or whatever it is then we'll say okay that's cool you know we'll find a wine from your birth year or um maybe there was an anniversary or a birth or whatever it is um you know we'll try to uh find a wine that's meaningful and and special for that person so i mean i I don't even know how many wineries in this (laughs) area 
I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot. So how do you how do how do you know what's good enough? I mean, besides tasting, um, what's good to drink? Yeah. Oh gosh, it's so personal. I mean, you know, if you're visiting the Napa Valley, it's like you know, there's so many different experiences you can have, and part of part of what I'm tasked with doing at the restaurant is going out and seeking. You know what the experience is like at a winery, what they're doing uh, to make the wine, and then how that you know how that interprets into the wine right. as you're tasting the wine. Um, so it's sort of a process that um, you know I can taste a wine and say I, I like this wine a lot, and then my job is to sort of figure out what elements um, and what winemaking uh, skills were associated with how that wine turned out. I see. Um, so you're almost like a talent scout when you go to different wineries, like when you sometimes, yeah. yeah, yeah. And we're always, I mean, we're always looking for the next best thing, the the newest, greatest wine, um, and that's kind of what makes it exciting. But um, there's a lot of wine in Napa. It takes a long time to get through it all. Is is there like a winery that like um, underrated that maybe more more people should know? There's tons of them. Oh, is that right? Yeah. It's funny. When I moved here uh, from New York, we, we don't see a lot of Napa wine in New York. It's a very European-centric area. Okay. Um, so when I moved out here, I was I was completely overwhelmed because I was like, a, I don't know, like 50 to 60% of these wineries, and I'm supposed to know a lot more than that when I am in this business. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a ton of underrated from – you know, entry-level boutique wines that they only make four barrels of all the way up to um, a thousand case production that just nobody really knows because it doesn't make it to Wine Spectator and Parker doesn't rate it or yeah. they don't have worldwide distribution. Um, so examples of that is like um, like CB up in St. Helena. It was a really, really cool property that was purchased in 1979 um, by a family that lived here and the father um, just kind of wanted to keep it in the family and sure. and didn't really do a lot of work to um, get the wine out there, didn't really do a lot of work to get people in the winery. Like, up until, I think, two months ago, they didn't have a sign. Like, nobody knew that it was even there, but we pour their wine by the glass because it's so spectacular and wonderful, and we love everything about it, and it's balanced, and um, it's definitely one of those under-the-radar wineries and wines that we love to recommend to people. What do, what do most Europeans think about Napa Valley's wine? They're coming around, but they, it's funny, like, you know, the French still very much have their nose up at it. Yeah. Um, but I think they're curious. I mean, I have more and more people come in and say, okay, well, we don't really know a lot about Napa, but here's what we like. And they'll tell me, you know, some French wineries that they like, regions that they like. Right. So we'll try to, try to find things that are in their wheelhouse of things they already like. Um, the Swedish love Napa wines can't get why why is that I have no idea I have no idea it's the weirdest thing and we've noticed it or at least I've noticed it in the last year they come in and they like big powerful intense dense fruit forward wines which for me I I mean I always consider the European palate to be a little bit more sensitive to those things Um, so the Swedish are like totally gung-ho for these big opulent Harlan Scarecrow realm Hamus ask wines. It's kind of funny. That's interesting. Yeah. My friend Adil, <laughs> he's Pakistani, but he was uh, raised in Sweden, and they have a restaurant called Lakakracha in uh, Sweden. And I remember two years ago he he came to the states because one of the winery insists selling all their wine through their restaurant, mm. and um, they're so aggressive about making sure they 
they buy their own wine only, you know? So mm -hmm. I never realized how competitive it was. And um, it does seem like, you know, 25, 30 years ago, things that I was reading of Napa Valley, I mean, Europeans seem like they feel like they're superior, but oh, I think yeah. that has just changed quite a bit, I would imagine. I think it has. I think, you know, from 76 on, when the, that big Judgment of Paris tasting happened. Do you know about that? No, no. So in 1976, it was called the Judgment of Paris, and it was this this big thing that happened in, in France every year. Um, and in 1976, California wineries won the competition over the French wineries. And it was this, like, big thing, and it was the first time that put California on the map. Um, the movie... Wait, wait, the the movie stunned? French were stunned. Like, like jaws dropped, and it was the first time that people really took California wine seriously. There's a lot of... Um, it's taken a lot of time. Right. But, you know, once you start having things like that happen and happening over and over and over, you know, eventually they're going to come around. You right. know, their palates are not always going to say, I want Napa Cab. Right. But they're interested and they're curious and they want to know what's out there. And the winemaking is getting better and better and better every year. And things are changing here. So... You know, I think Europeans are, they're coming around. They're they are a little less snobby about it than they were before. I see. Yeah. So, um, what, what, I mean, I don't want to say typical day, but <laughs> what does your day consist of usually, you know, uh, your job? Yeah. Uh, um, well, my, my personal day, um, I will generally visit a winery, um, a few times a week, a different winery, um, and then... So you've been doing that for... How many, about a year now. Well, yeah, I mean, consistently over the last, like, six months. Cause, okay. Because when I got here, I was still, like, acclimating myself. And, like, you know, a New Yorker to rural California is, sure. like, a huge change. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, I'd say, like, for the last six months. So I've I've hit probably, I don't know, between 50 and 100 different wineries. Wow. Okay. Which is a lot considering sure. um, how many there are. Um, so, yeah, so I'll visit a winery in the day. Um, tasting. If I'm not visiting winery, I'll try to taste other wines during the day. I am still studying for my level three um, exam, so my advanced sommelier exam. Um, oh, yeah. It, it, <laughs> it's licensed? So, there, okay, so there's lots of, like, certifications for this. So if, you know, people are more familiar with the Court of Master Sommeliers, which is what that movie Psalm was about. Yes. Um, so that's the Master Sommelier. So that's level four. Um, so my is it, and is that the highest? That is the highest. That okay. is there's only like 240 people in the world ever to get master sommelier, and it's incredibly prestigious. And the pass rate is less than five percent. I mean, you could study your whole life literally and never get master sommelier. Who runs the organization? Like a French people or no? It's it, well, it's an American or organization called the Court of Master Sommeliers. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's made up of a group of sommeliers that say you know these are the standards by which we say sommeliers can live by or okay. serve wine by. <laughs> um, so that's what this whole movie, Psalm, and has been based on is, um, and then there was a series on Esquire called called uh, Uncorked, and it was following a couple sommeliers in New York uh, going after that as well. Um, but it's incredibly difficult. There's a lot of components that people don't realize go into you know, becoming a certified or advanced or master sommelier. Um, it does, you know, you don't need those certifications to be a SOM, but, you know, it's kind of like, it's 
getting your graduate degree. You know, right. it's just a little bit more education. It's a little bit more money under your belt, you know, for sure. So you're going to level three. So what was the first two tests you were like? Is, is there like a lot of memorization or? Oh, or yeah. I, yeah. I mean, wine is <laughs> wine is like one of those subjects that, you know, we I always say it's a bottomless pit of, of information. Right. Like it just never it never ends. Um, so you are, you're, you're educating yourself on geography, okay. geology, climate, history of wine, wine laws, wine regions, grapes, winemaking processes, and then you have to taste. So now I have to put all that information that I've learned into tasting a wine. And okay. then, so you're tested when you go through the quartermaster sommeliers, you're tested on theory. So all of those things that I just talked about. So it's. Anything that could be related to wine. So there's a written test. There's a written test. Okay. There is a service exam. Okay. So where you're actually like conducting a serve like a wine service, um, and you're being asked questions verbally okay. doing that too. It's incredibly intimidating and terrifying. Um, and then there's a blind tasting exam. What is that? Is it like? <laughs> man, is it like you taste it? You're supposed to tell them who made it, what year, and kind of yeah. So you're in, in the advanced exam and then the master exam as well, you're given uh, six wines and you have, I think it's 25 minutes to uh, conclude the region, the varietal, the potentially producer, and the vintage. But how do you, how do you know? <laughs> I mean, it just boggles well, my mind. Okay, so there are certain markers for wines. So, you know, Chardonnay always has like notes of apple and it can be, you know, it can be made with oak, it can be made without oak. Um, you know, things that are a little bit more ripe in style, we'll say are new world. Things that are less ripe and a little bit more higher in acid are old world. Um, so you, you're literally deducing from information that you have. It's kind of like being a doctor, right? Like a patient comes to you with symptoms and you're like, all right, I'm going to take everything I know from my entire encyclopedia right. and I'm going to whittle it down to the most probable answer that I can come up with. And that's kind of like what it is to blind taste a wine. Like you're basically taking the entire planet and you're tasting the wine and you're like, well, it can't be X, Y, and Z. So it could be A, B, C. So now how do I figure out if it's A, B, or C? And there's a lot of different factors that go into that. So, you know, we look for markers of varietal. We look for likely vintages. We look for likely producers. Um, and you have to do it six you, times. <laughs> rough estimate what year? Do they even ask Yeah, that? no, totally. Yeah, you need to know, like, so, so it, initially you start with like, all right, I think this wine is about 10 to 15 years old or 20 to 30 years old. And then you have to hone in on precise vintage. And for master, you've got to nail that vintage because there's vintage variation in wine. So if you say a wine is, you know, presenting with like riper characteristics of a hot vintage, but you say a cool vintage, well, you got that wrong. So it's, it's, there's a lot. You have to think about a lot when you're blind tasting. You've only got like two and a half to three minutes per wine to do it. So, so you've done that before with six wines. Let's, let's yeah. give example six wines. Do they tell you how many you've got to write about? No. Well, indirectly. Like you kind of have to, no, they never really give you like your answers at the end of the, at the, end of the exam, but they tell you sort of like you maybe missed like the old world and must stick it for new world. Okay, but in sex, how, I mean, how many do you have to get right about? To pass? Yeah. I, I don't know how many it is. Because it's kind of, like, it's cumulative, so there's three components. Right. So I think it's, I mean, I want to say it's like 70% you have to get right, which is a lot. I mean, you can go back and forth between the sure. wines, but 
um, it's incredible. It is, it is to me like the most nerve wracking 25 minutes of your life. Right. And it goes by like that because you're just, you're trying to like smell and taste and see and f- like try to get everything else out of your mind besides the wine. Right. Um, so it's, it's a crazy, crazy process. And how long are these tests usually? Um, well, the level three exam is, is taken over a, the course of a day, but the, oh but the, the four, the yeah. master assembly exam, you have to pass theory first and then you can take your, um, the other components of service and the blind tasting component. Um, and that takes place over the course of, I think it's like three days and it's usually done in Aspen at the Little Nell or in Texas. Wait, when you say service, you, there's like a fake customer. And yeah. I see. Oh, it's there's crazy. There's standing watching how you do it. The judges are at the table. Okay. It's your it's your customer or your client or whoever is yeah. like sitting at the table, and they'll say, you know, we're having uh, we're having scallops and chicken and fish, and we would like a wine. What can you suggest? I see. And then they'll be really like intentionally difficult to the psalm. Like they'll say, um, but we don't like riesling and we don't like champagne, which are, would be like the likely pairings for that, right? Right. So then the psalm is like, okay, well maybe you would like a uh, maybe a Chablis and they're like great what producer you're like uh, uh, Russo yeah right so like you go with that and then they're like what produce what vintage um, how would you serve that what glass would you serve it in we don't really want that actually so give me something else I see so they'll just kind of like trip you up in many many different ways and they'll say well we want a cocktail first and um it's great stuff. And I know you're going to pass this thing, but, but, but how, <laughs> no, not necessarily. <laughs> but how much time do you w- would you wait before you go the next level? Like, do they tell you like get, between three and four? Yeah, like like years. I see. Like I would. Some people go right into it. Like some people will pass three, and then like within like they'll wait a year. Yeah. And then they'll go for four. Um. But most aren't. I mean, most aren't successful in general, and that's just. That's just an observation. That's really, when it comes down to it. This sounds like what chefs go through when they're trying to get their Michelin star one, two, and three right. Totally, I mean, it's gotta be stressful. It's insane. Yeah, and all you do is uh, study like day in day out. Well, you should totally watch this like this documentary and watch this um, series on Corked because it's it is really eye opening. Like you really get to see what it's like to be yeah. studying for that level of exam, and there really there's no other exam in the world like it. I mean, you're really just your flashcards, maps, quizzing each other, tasting it. It just, it, it never stops. It, it just never, it, it is so comprehensive. You cannot even wrap your mind around it because the second you think that you have learned everything, right. there's something else. You miss something. So, so is that one of those things that you have? past level four but like do you have it for the rest of your life or you yeah have to no like if you're level four like and that's the beauty of this right so people will study forever to get this because once you get that pin and you get it you get a pin once you get that you're golden like you're you're set for life so i have you, to say the mission star situation is more stressful because if you, you can might lose, have three stars this but year, you can lose, lose it. it correct yeah I mean, can you explain to the listener? Because that, that to me, is nerve-wracking. I mean... Losing a star? Yeah, I think these guys, once reached three star, it's not permanent. Like, they no. can lose it. Yeah, they can lose it. I mean, and they can lose it for reasons that, like, that aren't even their own. You know, they can lose it because the someone... Servant, it, servant right? Because someone, like, front of house, like, 
served the wrong wine or didn't place the napkin in the right, right. S- spot or you know it can be completely uh arbitrary as to you know why they would lose a star but yeah i mean you can work your entire life for your three michelin star restaurant and and most restaurants don't keep their stars like there's so few that have retained them you know even in new york like the greatest restaurants have like danielle lost a star that's a huge deal for a restaurant like that 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 worked their entire lives but it's also you know it keeps you on your toes right? right like that's actually i think that's a good thing i think we should all be kept on our toes to say okay at any give you got your stars but at any given moment you're susceptible to losing them and that's a really that's a great thing for a restaurant to kind of always be on the cutting edge and making yeah. sure that you're because people spend their entire lives waiting to go to these restaurants most people you know, and they save up their money. They want that three Michelin star experience if that restaurant is rated that. You know, if it slips, then, you know, they're using this guide that really isn't anything more than a, an old encyclopedia that hasn't been updated in 10 years, right. you know? I, I remember one of the first trips uh, when I was here, Jason was kind enough to take us to French Laundry. Wow, that was nice. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Just, just to go, uh, walk around. Oh, walk. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I wasn't even there. That's expensive. But there were so many visitors. They were just awed by that pl- uh, place. Yeah. And it's a three. I mean, I don't know how many times in the last 20 years it's been ranked the best restaurant in the United States, right? I mean, multiple times. It has. It actually, um, it, it's been, it's gone through, it has some issues in the last few years. Um, so Thomas Keller owns the French Laundry. He also owns Per Se in New a giant, York. Right? In a giant, like yeah. the the giant in the culinary world in the United States. Um, like I would, you know, he and Daniel Balud are the two like big giant powerhouses here. Right. Um, and now Daniel Hum of Love Medicine Park. Um, and anyway, Thomas Keller uh, owns the French Laundry as well as Bouchon, and which is in LA. It's in Vegas. It's here. Um, there's Bouchon Bakery in New York. Um, but per se had a really, really interesting thing happen. They had been consistently four stars from the New York Times um, and recently had got reviewed and got two stars. I mean, that's like bistro level stuff. You know, you've yeah. gone from three Muslim star quality um, down to something that's, you know, a little more casual and less finessed. And um, French Laundry, you know, I think... You know, it it will always be the pinnacle of fine dining in California and in America. And it's, you know, it's synonymous with the greatest. But, you know, even French Laundry is susceptible to slips and falls. And they have had to work harder in the last few years to really make sure that they're still giving excellent quality of fine dining experience. Um, Because it's, one, very difficult to get a reservation. And two, very, very expensive. You're not getting out of there for less than $1,000 for two people. It's a lot of money for dinner or for lunch, you know. And that's that's a pretty entry-level experience you're having. You know, that's not the finest of the wines. That's not, you know, all of the supplements that can be offered. That's a pretty, like, that's minimum. Um, So it's up to that restaurant to really make sure that their quality is is up to standard. And by the way, it's called French. It's called French Laundry because it used to be literally a French laundry. Laundry, yeah. They made a restaurant out of it. Yeah. And it was exciting when I was there because I saw these young kids. They were so happy to work there for free. Totally. You know, isn't that crazy? And to have that in their resume, it's just just incredible experience for them. You know, and um, there were so many Japanese. They just they were just just, they just (laughs) Just just so happy that they were able to stay in front of the restaurant take a picture. Yeah. How much, I, how much it means to those people. So, oh, yeah. Um, so, 
I mean, what what is your? I know you're working so hard. You have so many great videos, Instagram. I mean, you're very savvy, and I think you're doing a wonderful job educating the public. And you know, from from me and my friends, I think it's so intimidating. But I forget, you guys are here to make people's lives better and just have a wonderful meal yeah. and have a great conversation. And yeah. I think wine is a big part of that. So I would highly recommend: don't be scared. Come here. And you guys are very helpful. You really want people to have a good time. Oh, yeah. I mean, here's the thing to think about, right? So, psalms are getting younger and younger. And we didn't come out of the womb knowing how to taste wine or what wine was, right? So, like, this is only within the last few years that I've learned all of this. Right. Um, So, at some point, like, unless you're the son or the daughter of some great winemaker, like, we were all in that same boat. Like, nobody knew about wine. So... You know, when you come into the restaurant, just, you know, don't don't be intimidated by the psalm. Like, we are genuinely there to help you. I, you know, we, right. we are hospitable <laughs> human beings that want to make sure that you have the best experience you possibly can at whatever budget that is. Right. So if you have $20 to spend on a glass of wine or $50 to spend on a bottle of wine or you have $5,000 to spend right. on a bottle of wine, whatever it is... I'm going to make sure that you have the best possible experience at any price point, at any level, whatever you're looking for. Sure. We're finding the best because I, th- I don't want to sell you a bottle that like you're going to hate. That's ter- that's a terrible feeling to make someone disappointed. Um, Do you also help them like if investors? I know that they want to buy wine for investing. Is that something that you help people purchase? Their- I haven't. It ha- it's not something that I've I've dabbled in. I've looked into doing it. Okay. Um, that's a that's a different ball game, and it's you know. I don't know if that's something that I'm interested in doing because it's it's so far away from hospitality. Right. Um, but it's you know it's not off of the not off the grid. But that's a you know that's that's like investing in art, right? Like right, that's yeah. art for the sake of money and not art for the sake of art. And it's kind of the same with wine. Like if you're investing in wine, you're doing because you want to turn a profit. Sure. Not because you enjoy want to enjoy it, which Wait. is fine. So which, I mean, I'm, I'm sure some of them probably want to come up, but which restaurant do you work for? I work at Press. Okay. Yeah, so Press is in St. Helena, um, and we've been very fortunate to be on the shortlist for James Beard Award uh, Best Wine List for the last, like, five years. Okay. Um, we just got World of Fine, World of Fine Wine um, top, uh, like, the Grand Tier Award for Best Wine List. Um, so we're, uh, we've, we've gotten some pretty serious accolades, which is nice. Um, but it, you know, even even a restaurant like Press and even a wine list like Press, we're susceptible to, you know, slipping. So right. we're always always making sure that we are on top of our game and always have it's a well curated list, and we have options at many different price levels and vintages for everyone. And um, yeah, I'm very fortunate to work where I do. I mean, Press is an incredible place with an incredible wine list, um, and. Uh, just a stellar reputation in the valley so and, and what would you um what's your long-term plan i mean would you like your own <laughs> restaurant or no oh my gosh no i have no desire to own you know like how difficult it is to own a restaurant i can't i couldn't do it it's yeah. just it really like sucks it out of you um no restaurant owning is is not in the foreseeable future for me um i like i like what i'm doing right now i like uh like you've seen these YouTube videos that sure. I do, so all of these wineries I go to. And you're um, kind enough to give away free wine every Monday. I do. Well, yeah, 
in the summer months it's going to be like once it's a little bit more sporadic okay. but yeah it's called case of the mondays um and i give away a case of wine to uh, an instagram follower on just for fun and um, my friend Sasha Gray says she will um, take a picture and everything, and she um, she's waiting for the special occasion right yeah. now. Yeah, but she's definitely coming up because she's she's really curious about you yeah. know learning more about it. And I, I basically told her, and what do I know? But it seems like this is a lifetime endeavor, right? I mean, you it could learn never ends. It, I mean, truly, like what I said before, it is a bottomless pit of information. It, there is there is no end to learning about wine because there's always a new vintage, there's always a new producer, there's always a new up and coming region, um, and for somebody like Sasha Gray, um, I think it's awesome that she's like wanting to learn about wine. I think I sent her a, a Cru Beaujolais, which is by far my favorite like go to okay. drinking wine. Um, so Beaujolais is a little sidestep from Burgundy. Um, and, uh, you know, people think of Beaujolais as, like, Beaujolais Nouveau, um, which is pretty rancid and disgusting, but... I'm acting like I know what you're So, Beaujolais Nouveau is a, uh, something that comes out, um, like, at the end of November, and they only sell it for, like, three months, and it's, it's bottled young, and it's, it's like a celebratory thing, but it's, it's more festive than great drinking wine. But there's these crews in Beaujolais, these, these, like, certain areas that have distinct mm-hmm. soils and... Um, the wines are made with a little bit more love and care than right. Beaujolais Nouveau. Um, and they are elegant and beautiful and um, not as expensive as Burgundy. Um, so it's a way to experience great, great winemaking in that general vicinity without yeah. spending thousands of dollars. Um, so like Jason and I will often buy Kruber, Cru Beaujolais yeah. to just enjoy like with chicken or you know something easygoing. I definitely have to recommend my uh, friends and family if they. I think they're planning to come back to California soon. Like my friend, uh, Dr. Shima, he is attorney in Japan. And he, I met him, oh god, fifteen years ago in Seattle because he was um, uh, writing a text in Japanese explaining American legal system. But I met his sister. I think his sister was first or second Japanese to get certificate certificate of French cooking, and she was living in, in um, uh, Cannes. And um, she'll make all this amazing meal, and she speaks fluent uh, um, French. And um, Japanese, you know, they definitely respect French cuisine. And I didn't know this Vanity Fair recently, they were saying that there's actually more three-star restaurants in Japan than France. Is that true? Yes, it's a Vanity Fair. They were, it's I didn't fun. know that. I didn't know that. And, and there's like a mutual admiration because aesthetically speaking, Japanese love French art and French for sure, especially during the Impressionist period, like Japanese art and things like that. Mm-hmm. But that amount of a, a effort and uh, creativity in cooking and wine, you know, it's um, oh yeah, this is incredible. The, yeah. the Japanese love French and uh, food, and I think the French definitely like Japanese food, but um, winery boy, Japanese have a lot of respect for uh, wine in Europe and Napa Valley. They so do. Um, Dr. Shima used to make me go because we were in Seattle. He would take me to Eastern Washington and all the different wineries. And um, I, I, I didn't. What, what is that protocol when you visit winery? I mean, he he knew everything about that. But um, I mean, what's some of the do's and don'ts when you visit winery? Um, Ooh, that's a fair question. Um, well, one, go with an open mind. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, you know, just like a restaurant, it's a it's a 
it should be a very hospitable experience. Okay. Um, so part of having great hospitality is being a great guest. So being uh, focused on what the either tasting room attendant or the winemaker, whoever's taking you through sure. the experience. Um, you know, I always think it's really important to listen and pay attention and ask questions. Sure. Um, you know, to make it sort of a, a mutual experience. Um, don't get trashed. Um, there's no need to like, you know, be crazy and wild and like have fun, of course. But like, you're right. Because, feel uh, feel free to spit. Like, it's totally acceptable to spit your wine out and ask for a spit cup, which I don't think people realize. I think it's insulting to the to the winery, and it's not. Like, if you are if you're tasting that many wines, it's expected that you'll be in you'll you'll be too intoxicated to really enjoy the wines. Um, yeah. So I. I, I <laughs> I might have tried a couple, but ultimately I was the driver. Mm-hmm. So he he just said he, he just went nuts. We we went to different wineries, but these days, thank God for Uber. Now right. you, you really could go different wineries totally. and just go out and try as much as you can. Yeah, you know? or get a drive. I mean, yeah, definitely don't drive. Yeah, um, hire a driver. There's great services in Napa for for that. And um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, please God, don't don't drive, don't drink and drive in Napa. Sure. It's just so stupid. Um, yeah, I mean. <laughs> I I always have a different experience than everyone else um, when I'm at a winery because of my job, because of being a sommelier, and then, of course, filming for YouTube. Yeah. Um, but I always watch other people, and I, I try to see what they're doing and how they're experiencing the place. Um, you know, if you don't like a wine, it's it's fine. Like, you don't need to drink it. Sure. Um, but you should ask questions. Like, right. ask, find out why you don't like that wine. So, you know, find out, you know, was it made in stainless steel or was it made in wood? You know, if it's a Sauvignon Blanc or it's a Chardonnay, you know, if it's a Cabernet, like, ask how much time it's spent on oak. Maybe that's a clue as to what you like and okay. what you don't like. Um, and just start figuring out for yourself, you know, what you like. Um, because there's only so many things I can do as a Psalm to figure out what your palate likes and doesn't like. See, uh, I know you, so it would be easier. But, like, if I didn't know anyone... I, I have no idea which one even to go first, you know, I mean... In the lineup? Yeah, because there's... There's no, like, there's no like, wrong or right way to do it. Okay. I mean, some people, some people swear, like, most people will do whites and then reds, but some people swear by doing reds and then finishing with whites. Okay. Um, the beauty about your palate is that it's constantly resetting itself, so your pH level is always... So you don't need to take a sip of water before you drink wine because your mouth is constantly resetting itself okay. naturally. Um, so that's one of the biggest misconceptions that people don't realize when they go to taste a wine and they have a, a sip of water first. That wine will actually usually taste a little bit more acidic in your mouth than it is mm. because your mouth is still trying to reset and it's like producing more saliva and more saliva means more acid. Sorry, it's kind of gross. Um, so yeah, don't take a sip of water beforehand. Um, but like go back and forth between the wine. You know, it's like it's like food. You know, it's there's no... There's no set direction you have to go. Just go with whatever feels right. And if you want to revisit like that Sauvignon Blanc after you have the cab, like, go for it. Who cares? Okay, for restaurant, obviously go to where you work. Yes. <laughs> and but if somebody's visiting for the first time, you know, if you have to like, if you have to recommend four or five of them, what mm-hmm. would you recommend? Like, you know, like classic Napa experiences. Yeah. Um, Frog's Leap is. I think by far, like, my favorite okay. classic Napa experience. Why, why do you just, like it so much? Um, I think the wines are great. They are still very reasonably priced. John Williams has been making those wines since the 80s. Um, 
It sits in, in Rutherford, and it's a beautiful, beautiful property. It has a wraparound deck. It's a very um, relaxed experience. Okay. So, like, the tasting room attendant will come around and pour you wine, and they'll ask, answer questions. Then they leave you, which is I always think is nice because then you can think about the wine or talk about the wine or not talk about the wine, whatever you want to do. Um, but it's so classic and beautiful, and the wines are great, and they have a lot of different um, varietals, and I think they're all what we would consider varietally correct. Um, so it's a good way to find out if, like, maybe you don't really like Sauvignon Blanc. Maybe you like Chardonnay or, okay. um, you know, tasting a Zinfandel that really tastes like Zinfandel. It doesn't taste like something else because something else has been added to it. Um, so Frog's Leap, for sure, sure is okay. one of my favorites. Um, if you want, uh, like, an elevated experience, um, I where I've been recently that has been really cool. Um, God, so many of these are like closed to the public. Um, oh, is that right? Yeah. You have to get an invitation? Or? Yeah, like wineries like Harlan and Bond are really hard to get into and Donna, which is a Korean-owned um, place. Oh, you know what's really great? Um, Kenzo. That is a, that's a Japanese-owned winery and that he, is... He's a big video game guy. Yes, right? yes. exactly, Apple, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How long um, has he been around? that winery mm, I think like 10 years they started building that property it's in um it's in the wild horse valley so it's pretty it's pretty far from here it's like a 40 minute drive okay um but it's beautiful Howard Backen which like if you're in Napa you'll hear that name a lot he was the architect for the place um David Abreu planted the vineyards and then Heidi Barrett um makes the wine and Heidi was the one who in uh in the early 90s was making Screamy Yule and Dal Valley Maya which are those big like 100 point Parker wines so she's still got her footprint all over the valley but she makes Kenzo um and that's a beautiful sort of elevated tasting experience um if you want higher end wines and uh are willing to pay the price for it I think that's a great place um as well as uh Rudd which is actually the same owner as Press um and a little bit closer if you don't want to drive all the way up to uh, okay. Wild Horse Valley. And Have you met him before? Kenzo? Yeah. No. I think she said he only, like, he's here, like, once a month, once every two months. Um, no, I've never met him. But I'm sure he's great. <laughs> I mean... He's he's very into wine. My understanding is that he's got one of the most impressive sellers, and he's into like everything from first growth Bordeaux to Grand Cru Burgundy to Napa like Colt Napa cabs. Okay, um, and they do a great job there. It's the only Sauvignon Blanc that Heidi Barrett makes, um, and they make everything in half bottle, which I think is nice for like those of us that are a little bit more non-committal. Okay, so that's two. Uh, give <laughs> me like three more. Okay, um, CV, what we talked about earlier. Great, okay. like old rustic experience. Um, if you don't want to come over to Napa Valley and you want to stay in Sonoma, Scribe is awesome. Um, very, very relaxed. Um, what else do I really like? Gosh, there's so many of them in the valley. Um, the Coppola family, I, I, you know, I'm so, I'm so <laughs> oh, the biased. I, I'm so biased. You yeah. know, I just love the guy. So yeah. I, I didn't taste wine, but I was just so happy to see um, some of the photographs and movies and things yeah. like that. I mean, it's uh, like Disney World there, huh? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Coppola. What, uh, how, I mean, have you tried his wine before? And uh, Yeah, it's good. You know, he, he, uh, he's, he's a very passionate guy about what he, like everything that he does. So, there's just there's a lot of wines so some are really great and some are misses you know yeah. or just not my palate i should say um god yeah that that place is kind of crazy that's 
that's a cool place if you've got like your family in Napa yeah and you don't want to be tasting wine all day like go to Coppola they've got a pool there and it's, it's very interesting it's a cool place though and I remember once again I'm, you know I'm a big fan of Vanity Fair but yeah. I think within a month or two they were talking about winery in Italy where his father's from and some of the uh, reference the Godfather was made and uh, it was really interesting he he went back and it's really oh, I wish I could remember the town but it's really out of the way from a touristy area so um, hmm. yeah that family is incredible I mean just they're just so creative and talented in so many different you know, yeah. directing oh yeah. yeah and they you know they're still very much in the Napa Valley and um, Eleanor Coppola is still lives in the valley and um there's a whole, there's always like coppolas like running around here this like, you know this town is crazy like as farmer as it is there's constantly celebrities and so much money walking around here it's a very interesting juxtaposition uh in addition to entertainment of course you probably have a lot of silicon valley uh, oh yeah yeah, yeah we yeah, we got a lot of silicon valley um marin county um san francisco bay area and then we got a lot of people from like la from like southern california that come up um and then texas is so is, Texas is climate like comparable to that places in France? Is is, this, is that why they no, picked it's, this? No, it's no. You know what's crazy? Like this place is, it's it's way hotter than France. I mean, at least it like, is? yeah. I mean, like at least for the varietals that we're doing, okay. yeah. Um, but you know, there's been climate shift, and like some seasons are more warm than others. Um, the beauty about Napa Valley is we have this like this diurnal shift. So this this crazy drop in temperature at night. So in the daytime, you know, well, like today, it's like in, it's like a hundred degrees outside, right? So um, it's so brutal, um, which is maybe a little bit too hot for the grapes. Right. Um, but usually, like, it's a pretty consistent eighty-five to ninety degrees, which is great. Um, and then at night, it shuts down, like it goes down to the sixties or seventies, so the the acid can kind of come back to the grapes and sort of balance everything out. I see. Um, yeah, I mean Napa Valley is great for for grape growing, but it's it's different than France. Um, the soils are different, the climate is different. It's you know there's more humidity over there. Um, we've got a we've got dry everywhere. It's like drought season, and um, we finally got a little rain, but you know we've we've got major water issues here. So your job really is not only customer service, history, art art of wine, mm-hmm. but. You, you seem to know a lot about science, like the, the, the chemistry. You have to, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, like like I said, you know, at the end of the day, we can boil our job down to we serve wine. But in order to be really good at your job, you've got to know all of these different components. So when someone asks you a question about, you know, why does this wine taste different than this other wine? Well, there's a couple different reasons. You know, it's winemaking, it's chemistry, it's science. You know, it's all of these different components. And, um, yeah, you're if you're... If you're a good psalm, you'll know the answer to that question, or you'll find out, or you'll have some sort of educated guess into why that is. So, uh, beside Napa Valley, yeah. um, I know the powerhouses, I guess, in Europe, France. Mm-hmm. Um, what, so, what other part of the world, like, up-and-coming winery? Um, is, is Asia any factor at all? Or? Well, uh, I, I have yet to taste anything out of Asia. Um, I know the Chinese are making wine, um, and I haven't had it yet. I've heard okay things. Okay. Um, like, Asia is a huge continent. Like, there has to be somewhere to make decent wine out of there. Okay. I just haven't seen it yet. Um, so I can't say for sure if it's up and coming. People love South Africa. Um, I 
I'm still not convinced. I haven't really tasted anything I love. Okay. Um, Australia, people write off because um, some major conglomerates have made wine out of there and it's become a little bit more um, like grocery store. Yeah. Um, but Australia was actually in the forefront of winemaking technology. So, you know, you've, you've got beautiful, beautiful wines coming out of Australia um, and then New Zealand as well. Um, but the best part about Australian wines are the technology is so good that there is so much consistency from wine to wine um, because they're not really skimping on, in that area. So while the wines may not be as like artistic or beautiful, yeah. like if you're looking for a 15 to $20 bottle of wine, just go Australian. Like it's going to be good. I never thought yeah. winery when I think about Australian. No, there's beautiful. There's like very expensive wines coming out of Australia. Um, so Shiraz is a, is one of their grapes, and it's the same thing as Syrah. It's just a it's a synonym. Um, but yeah, Australian Chardonnay, Australian Shiraz, Australian Cab. Um, there's beautiful Semillon coming out of there. Um, and then New Zealand. New Zealand's great for Pinot Noir and Sauvignon Blanc. Like beautiful, wow. beautiful wines coming out of there. Very expensive wines. Um, and then South America is like the big up and coming region that people are really pushing. So Chile and Argentina for sure. And you know, Argentinian Malbec has been around for a while, but Chilean, uh, Chilean wines are, are up and coming and they're very, very uh, undervalued right now. I think I have maybe four and a half, five minutes. So I just want to make sure I yeah. give them a chance uh, for you to uh, tell your um, Instagram and how they could contact you. And the battery is <laughs> yeah. about to go dead on me. So uh, All right, so we'll be quick. Uh, yeah, so uh, on Instagram, I'm at Sam Vivant, so kind of like Bon Vivant, S-O-M-M-V-I-V-A-N-T. Uh, and then on Instagram, it's the same, or on uh, YouTube, it's the same. So it's Sam Vivant on, on YouTube. Um, and I put up new videos of all of these wineries I go to uh, at least once a week, if not more. And, and um, that... Uh Giveaways on Monday. Oh, Case of the Mondays. Yeah, Case of the Mondays on Monday. You have to follow me on Instagram um, and uh, turn on your notifications so you know. Um, but Sunday night at like midnight, I will post um, the Case of the Mondays giveaway. Uh, you have to be over 21, of course, and then yes. live in the United States. Uh, but I will pick a winner at the end of the day on Monday, and they will receive a case of wine. Um, and if they have a question, how would they um, just... Yeah, you can contact me on Instagram or on YouTube, or you can email me. I'll give you my email. Okay. Uh, it's Amanda McCrossin at Mac.com. Can you spell your uh, last my name? My last name? Yeah. yeah. It's M-C-C-R-O-S-S-I-N. And do you have a fixed schedule when you work? Maybe they want to go to the restaurant. And, uh... I don't have a You know, we're closed on Tuesdays. I'm almost always there on the weekends, but I always encourage people to let me know when they're coming so I know to keep an eye out for them. So you can send me a message on Instagram or email me. Um, and I, I'm pretty good at getting back to people. Perfect. And yeah. uh, of course, if you're up here, you, you definitely have to go and see Cameo Cinema and see. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love the Cameo Cinema. So have a nice movie, a meal, and, you know, Mandy will help you with wine. Yeah. And, um, um, well, thanks for doing this. You know, thanks, it's, um, um Jason said, you know, they're, they're just impressed with you. And you're so knowledgeable. <laughs> so and nice. You're, you're very kind, you know, because I think most people are just really intimidated by it. We're trying to get rid of that. You're, you're educating the public and making it fun, you know, yeah. because working class people, they're not afraid of beer, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, thanks. And um, I think Sasha, I definitely want to tell, uh, remind Sasha Gray to come up here for that movie festival you were talking yeah. about. Late October 1st. Yeah, Napa November. Valley Film Festival is great. Great. It's a perfect So time. come up and enjoy the food and wine and, of course, watch a movie at Camino Cinema. And 
yeah, go say hi to Kathy Buck as well. But yeah. uh, Amanda, thank you very much. Thanks, uh, This Yoshi. is fine. And um, um, everyone, just make sure to follow her Instagram and YouTube. I mean, it's really fun to watch. <laughs> thank you. Thanks.